Cheerscast is part of the Fire and Water Network. So what's going on? Oh, I just came from a late lunch at the Copley Plaza. Whoa! Whoa! You had lunch at the Copley? Yeah. Took a prospective employer there. Pat Corden, the guy. So what'd you have for lunch? The uh, rack of lamb for two. I don't remember what he had. <laughs> I saw Teddy Kennedy over there. I still say that Kennedy will be president someday. Oh, no way, no way. Maybe the next time. You know how politicians are. No, no. I really don't think so there, Diana. I've got a pet little theory about that. You see, if you go back in history and take every president, you'll find that the numerical value of each letter in their last name was equally divisible into the uh, year in which they were elected. Uh, so who's going to win, Cliff? Uh, Reagan again? Mondale? No, no, not a chance. See, I figured it out. Uh, and by my calculations, uh, our next president has to be named Yelnik McWawa. That's the stupidest name I've ever heard. Sam, please, you're talking about our next president. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. Taking a break from all your worries sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. Everybody knows your name You wanna go where people know People are all the same You wanna go where everybody knows your name Hello and welcome back to Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. I'm Ryan Daly, and joining me this time for Season 1, Episode 13, is Robert Land, who co-hosts the sports-related podcasts Houston Sports Talk and Locked On Texans, which is part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Robert, thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, I think it's kind of fitting uh, that you have me on this one because uh, Houston sports talk is uh, we talk rockets and Ast- it's all Houston sports. And the Astros, as we're recording this, just got eliminated by the Red Sox in the playoffs. And <laughs> so Sam Malone would appreciate the fact that we've been talking a lot about Red Sox relievers over on my Houston sports talk podcast. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure. Uh, so um, this, you get the same question that every new guest gets out their first time on the show. How and when did you discover Cheers? Oh, brother. Well, first of all, I'm just incredibly happy to be here because Cheers is my favorite TV show of all time. I, I started listening to you guys from the start. So this is really cool. I, I was born in 1971. The first episode aired just a couple of months after my 11th birthday. The last episode was just a few months before I graduated college. So basically, I became an adult with Cheers. And <laughs> keep in mind that I, I grew up a TV baby, especially sitcoms. 70s and 80s sitcoms were a staple of my childhood. So good times, the Jeffersons, One Day at a Time, Happy Days, Laverne and Shirley, Three's Company, Mork and Mindy, Different Strokes, All in the Family, Benson, The Facts of Life, <laughs> Growing Pains. I mean, the list goes on and on. It was it was the time of the sitcom. 
And of course, three mile time favorites, Taxi, WKRP and MASH for sure. And, and then, of course, just that powerhouse Thursday night lineup, which you just couldn't forget with with Family Ties, Night Court. And now it's kind of the sadly stained forever <laughs> Cosby show. I know. Uh, <laughs> Considering that one was that one was the powerhouse for most of its run, and now that one's the one that you kind of like. Yeah, we have to acknowledge that one. Yeah. <laughs> Can you still watch that? It's it's hard for I can't even do it anymore. I no, and for me, like more more so than the TV show. Like growing up. I freaking loved Bill Cosby's stand-up comedy special himself. Like, I had that memorized at an obscenely young age. I knew that entire stand-up comedy special. I loved that that special. And now it's like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it's sad because it, it, was, it was a great – I mean, it was an incredible show. And the thing about sitcoms, Ryan, and I don't know if you guys have talked about this yet on the show – but what was so fantastic about the sitcoms of that era, the 70s and the 80s, and, and, and just the sitcom format, I think, is so many of them were stuff that kids could watch with ad- adults. You know, today the show is basically an adult show or it's a kid show. And, you know, you see the little kids on there. I mean, I have nieces that are, get on their iPads and they're watching whatever they're watching. And then the adults are w- watching the adult shows. And so there's this separation. And in a way, those sitcoms, you know, Cheers included, you know, a lot of adult situations, but all of these sitcoms back in the day, you could watch with your family and the adults could get something out of it and the kids could. And so you sort of bonded as a family in a way because of these uh, shows. Yeah, that's a good point. Actually, I, I never really thought about that. But to me, I, I, I kind of feel like maybe from my generation, like Saved by the Bell in the 90s was like the first TV show that I remember that wasn't a, like that my parents would never watch it. Like I like that. That wasn't a show that adults would really be interested in. It was specifically geared for the youth, but it wasn't a cartoon. It wasn't like an after school kids cartoon trying to sell toys or something like that. It was a sitcom for kids, um, and that was like the first time I kind of picked up on something like that. Even a weird show like – I mean to me, I look back at it and I go, well, this had a lot of really adult stuff in it in a way was Bosom Buddies, which mm. is you know one of my favorite shows. And, and that had all sorts of – but even as there was stuff – that you could take even the the kind of slapsticky stuff as a kid because it was it was weird because they're they're living in a house with uh, <laughs> it's like this house with uh, that only females could live in and they're dressing up as women and you're you know it's 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 a weird thing for maybe a kid to follow but th- that was one of the things and, and Ryan I just read that the original auditions for Cheers were held on the Bosom Buddy set because it had a bar. <laughs> Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I also understand that Bosom Buddies was on this same stage as Cheers, Paramount Studios 25. And I, and I do want to talk about that a little bit later, that particular stage. But th- that's a cool part of the thing as well. Yeah. One of the things that I did want to mention before we even get into the episode that we're going to talk about and peeking behind the curtains for the listeners here. Uh, you were not my first guest for this episode that I had booked, but my first guest, his schedule got really crazy at this time, so you are coming in as a substitute, <laughs> as a relief podcast guest, um, which is uh, appropriate for this episode, um, as it kind of keys into one of the uh, one of the elements of of this show. Um, but again, but kind of before we get into the episode, there was something that you were mentioning to me just before we started, which was uh, you have a story about a, a brush with one of the cast members. Is that correct? 
Yeah, this is a pretty amazing story. It's one of my favorites. So in 1996, I was visiting my friend out in Los Angeles. And at the time, I worked in news at the NBC in Little Rock. So my friend and co-worker who was in Little Rock with me, uh, who was going on the trip, used our NBC connections to get tickets to Frasier, uh, which I'd quickly grown to love. And as you probably know, Ryan, Frasier shot on the same Paramount studio as Cheers. Mm-hmm. So just being there felt like I was in a hollow, unhallowed ground for this. And, and this was the first scripted show I'd ever seen in person. The whole two and a half hours, just an incredible experience. And I remember Kelsey Grammer, you know, right before it starts, briefly spoke to the audience and you couldn't help but like him. I mean, is you just Kelsey Grammer kind of is what you see. You know, you got sort of what you saw on TV with with Kelsey and in interviews and things like that. And I got to take one of my stories from that night. We were in the last row of what I'd call the bleachers. Not not exactly super fancy theater seating for uh, <laughs> Frazier and, uh, and, th- and that set. So there was this beautiful blonde woman that stood behind us during the taping. And when she walked in, in front of the crowd while the warm-up comedian was talking to us before we got going, the whole crowd just followed her with their heads turning and, and their jaws just dropped. I mean, it, it was so obvious the comedian stopped and said, uh, hey, hey, I'm right here. I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, that drew a big laugh from everybody. And then when they were done taping, Kelsey starts looking up in my direction and he's waving. So I'm thinking, wait a second, there's no way he's waving at me. Uh, That's when I turned and looked behind me at the blonde woman who was waving back. And it was Kelsey's girlfriend, Camille. Uh, and, And those of you that are fans of Kelsey will know that former Playboy playmate who'd later famously become his wife. Well, one month after the taping, Kelsey flips his sports car while he was under the influence and then would credit Camille for getting him sober and saving his life. And as many of you know, the, the Kelsey and Camille love story, it did not end well. Uh, <laughs> they, they got a divorce and there was some acrimony there. But, you know, I just got an added button to this story. So the next night, uh, thanks again to our NBC Connections we saw The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, which I have to say sort of paled in comparison after the Frasier experience. But there was one saving grace. The headline guest that night was plugging her new film, The Brady Bunch Movie. Uh, the actress, <laughs> Ryan, was who? <laughs> was uh, Miss Diane Chambers herself. Shelly Long. It was, oh, it was just, I couldn't believe it. Because she was a last second replacement and they announced oh yeah, we were supposed to have this person on. I think it was the one of the guys from Party of Five and, and uh, he couldn't make it and whatever. And I was like, Shelly Long? Well, that's <laughs> way better than, you know, this guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow, that's very cool. Cool. <laughs> yeah, the, the other story that, uh, sort of my other brush with a, a Cheers cast member, um, my dad was a repo man for, for years and years. Uh, you know, still still is. But he's been doing it for, I don't know, 45 years or something like that. And, you know, he's repoed Wayne Newton's jet. <laughs> he's he's repoed. Uh, uh, this wasn't a repo. I think this was more like he was trying to find it. He's found a stagecoach that was missing for 100 years. So he's got some pretty cool stories in the business. Well, one of the stories that he, he told me uh, was that he repossessed Woody Harrelson's dad's car. Okay. And, <laughs> I knew as soon as you started talking about this, I was like, this is going to end up like with him, like in like a, a gun shootout with Woody Harrelson or something like that. This is going to be a, a dark face off. But 
And, and you know, I, I think people might know this about Woody's background, but Woody's father went to jail in the 70s for a contract killing. So this, I mean, this had to, I think this was like back in the 70s uh, when his father was going through all of his weird stuff. I mean, they're sort of estranged and everything like that. But it, it's one of those stories I always like to tell about my dad's pretty cool. That is very cool. Very cool. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we, we will try to follow up that story uh, with uh, with our description of Cheers, episode 13 from the first season, titled Now Pitching Sam Malone. Uh, this episode was written by Ken Levine and David Isaacs. It was directed, naturally, by James Burroughs. The original air date was Thursday, January 6th, 1983, the first episode to come out in 1983. The gang at Cheers is all excited when a famous hockey player named Tibor Svekovic comes to the bar. But Sam is more interested in Tibor's date, Lana Marshall, a talent agent who represents local athletes. After they start dating, Lana gets Sam a commercial pitching beer, and everything seems to be great. But Sam worries that Lana will end his budding TV stardom when he wants to break up with her. Which is exactly what happens when Diane convinces him to end the relationship. So, that basically was Cheers Season 1, Episode 13, now pitching Sam Malone. Uh, Robert, what did you think of this episode? It was fantastic. I mean, <laughs> I, I love this episode. There's so many incredibly funny lines in, in this one. And, you know, I really love the first season, Ryan, because, you know, sometimes in, in TV shows, the characters, you know, they, they start to get a little bit more caricatures and in the early episodes of every TV show, when they're finding their footing, sometimes it's they're finding their footing and it's not working. But with Cheers and a lot of the best shows, they find their footing early on, but they don't become as much caricatures. And so that part about Cheers in the early episodes, I really love. And also just the fact that uh, this was a story that sort of turns the whole idea of the man and the woman and who's in charge and kind of calling the shots. And in earlier episode, I know you guys talked about an episode that was really worked well or really worked poorly for the Me Too. While I think this one in particular, it's turned on its head and, and it works a little bit better because it, it's the female. And because of that, I think it allows for the humor to be a little bit more genuine where you're not uh, you don't you don't feel like it's, it's something that is you can't be comfortable with, you know, and, and I think that's what works so well about this episode. But I love I think I, I wrote to you that I, I love uh, Nicholas Colasanto and, and just everything about these early episodes. I love because of him. And, and he brings, you know, as much as I love Woody and Woody was great and everything like that. Uh, Colasanto, there was a heart that he brings to his episodes and to that character that was almost impossible to replace once he left. I mean, Woody was kind of the same caricature of like, you know, he's obviously not that bright, but Colasanto, I think it, it was brought with more of this genuine heart that he brought to every single part of the character. And you feel it in this show. And then you also, you get his toughness too, which mm -hmm. is, which was fun. <laughs> yeah. He, he definitely has his, um, his coach moment where he's he's being the coach and he basically has to talk to Sam and, and dress him down and literally kick him in the butt to get him <laughs> to get him to do what he needs to do. Um, but yeah, coach has has one of my favorite lines and I'll say that for towards the end of the episode. Um, and yeah, I, I think Woody definitely had the benefit of 
eight seasons really to kind of grow and to, and to flesh out and to kind of like come into his own over the course of the thing. And coach really was fully formed um, in part because of the way the character was written, but also because he was an older man. He was, you know, he was aged, like he had had all of his life's experiences. So just like when you meet coach, you see everything is on, he wears everything on his sleeve. You know exactly who he is. And similarly with what you were saying, how like the, the character's, I mean, Sam, as has been mentioned many times throughout this podcast, uh, Sam becomes dumber as the show goes along. Uh, and you really kind of see in the first season, he has these street smarts. He's a lot more more canny about certain things uh, that we don't necessarily see towards the end of the show. But in this episode, there's some variation. You know, there's some aspects where he seems very kind of on the ball and and, and pretty clever. And then there there's aspects of like not knowing Macbeth or something like that. Like where it really shines that he's he's a little bit dumber. But yeah, it is. This was a a fun episode. First of all, the teaser for this episode, which I didn't mention, it opens up with it's clo- it's past closing time. Sam and Coach they're locking up, they're putting their glasses away, they're having kind of a meaningless talk about their favorite times of night. Um, I was actually, I was trying to listen to the dialogue and I was like, this is what the heck are they even talking about? But you realize that it doesn't matter. Like they could have been talking about anything. Like that dialogue is not important. What is important is as soon as they lock the door behind them and they leave. Norm comes running out of the bathroom as that realization that he's been locked in overnight. And at first he's like, Hey, I don't want to be locked in. And he, he trails off as he said, and he goes and he starts pouring himself a beer and turning on the TV. And the punchline is sometimes a guy's got to have some time to himself. What did you think of the teaser? Oh, it, it was fun. And you got to mention that their favorite time. It was, it was coach saying, you know, this is my favorite time of the day. And he goes, you know, the, you know, late at night. And no, he said the time of the day, you know, literally like no, what, it was <laughs> right, one right. fifteen or whatever AM or, or something like that. Or, and, and so, and then, uh, then he asked, you know, Sam, well, what's your favorite time of day? Well, I sort of like eight fifteen or something, you know, <laughs> and, it, and so, you know, it, it was one of those back and forth, but, uh, yeah, it was great because, you know, it, it's sort of the dream of everybody to get locked in a bar and then it ends with, you know, Norm getting locked in a bar, like you said, and just a, a little interesting connection between the story behind where everybody goes, uh, George Went walks in and everybody goes, Norm, mm-hmm. and, uh, and Nicola Santo as well that we were just talking about. Uh, George Went tells a story and says that they were workshopping the characters. And when Colasanto brought up a story from his drinking days and, and Colasanto uh, ha- had some drinking issues that, that I do want to mention as well, because, you know, this is something that I don't know if Cheers fans would know. But anyway, he said that every time one of the regulars walked into his favorite New York spot, I'm talking about Colasanto, everyone would yell out his name hmm. and, and bingo. That's how you got Norm. That's how they figured out that whole idea. And yeah, the whole real crazy irony, and, and there's I, and maybe there's a little bit of melancholy to this as well, is that Colasanto becomes most famous for Cheers. He was an alcoholic for mm-hmm. 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 1976, he becomes sober and an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then the alcoholism then may have been a major cause for heart disease that ended up affecting his career in the late 70s. Eventually, it might have resulted in, in a heart attack that he had. And it became harder for him to get jobs. But Colasanto, you know, also became very famous for playing the mob boss in the classic Raging Bull. And yet, you know, he ends up, of all things, and being known for Cheers, which is about being in a bar and all that. 
So that's that, I just thought that story was really fascinating because as I was looking stuff up before I talked to you, Ryan, it's just like a story that I don't think I'd ever heard before. Yeah, and it's it's kind of funny when you think of how lighthearted and at times like effervescent the show seems. A lot of the cast members had really struggled with uh, with substance abuse and alcoholism and other things and and really kind of dark dark issues. Um, and we will touch. And I mean, you, we'll touch upon some of those as the show goes on. Um, uh, so yeah, the teaser does end with Norm pouring himself a beer. I will count that on today's Norm's tab, even though I'm sure he didn't pay for that one. And that didn't go on the books, but it will be credited as one of the beers that he drinks. Then once the episode proper, uh, starts, he comes back and it, it opens with a, you know, one of his, he walks in Norm and we find out uh, kind of continuing his own character continuity, uh, since he got fired from his job back in episode seven, he says he's looking for, he's, he took his. Is a prospective employer out to uh, eat at the Copley Plaza, and he mentions this whole thing about he saw Teddy Kennedy there, uh, and he tried to get his autograph in the back. <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, I tried to get his autograph," and they're like, "You bothered him during lunch?" He's like, "No, I waited till we went to the men's room." And the Joey's, he takes out the the napkin that he got him to sign or something, and he's like, "Marty Broker." He's like, "I must have gotten the wrong stall." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that joke that joke works. What I love about it more so is the way it's picked up on later on. After they see, you know, famous hockey player Tibor Spekovic, who like walks in and everything like that, and he, he sits down. Cliff, Cliff has this line. He's like, "Norm, you better rec- you better memorize what his shoes look like if you want to get his autograph later on." Yeah, <laughs> I, I thought of that same thing. The callback was just brilliant, and uh, yeah, I, I want to save a little bit of that mm-hmm. part there with that whole scene. Because uh, that that we're gonna get back to that because that that's gonna be my home run of the okay. show. So, <laughs> right, yeah. so so hold on to that one. But um, you know the other thing about the whole Norm thing when you know the whole Norm walks in and everybody yells Norm. Uh, one of my favorite moments in college. So I, I went to the University of Missouri and I'm I'm taking a journalism ethics class. I, I majored in journalism, studied there, and so it's one of these huge auditoriums. And the journalism teacher's up there talking to us, and I don't even know what it was referring to, but he's telling a story, and he said, he goes, yeah, he goes, you know that guy, the you know the guy that always sits at the bar, at the, the TV show Cheers, and the whole class in unison, this is probably a couple <laughs> hundred people, yells, Norm! <laughs> nice. <laughs> that was well set up, well executed. <laughs> yeah, that was that was fantastic. And the, and the thing is that I I didn't even think I heard an interview about uh, interview with this guy the other day, and it was I didn't know this. Uh, his nephew is Jason Sudeikis. That's George Wentz's nephew. That is George Wentz's nephew. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That so is cool. I, just the the comedy gene uh, yeah, yeah, runs in the family. No, yeah, he's terrific. Wow, that's cool. Um, Cliff only has a few parts in this episode, but I love like everyone. I love the moment when he's uh, telling Norm to recognize the shoes. It opens up with Cliff kind of going through his whole spiel about how how you can predict the next president, and then like later on in the second act, he's got a moment where you don't even see him, but Diane is leaving the office after talking to Sam, and she's like, "I'll, I'll find somebody else, uh, like in this bar, who's like smart enough to handle this conversation." And you just hear Cliff going, "All right, everybody, line up for the ugliest tongue competition." <laughs> and you just hear like the one other line. He's like, "Everybody, line up alphabetically by height." 
that is one of those things where like in my family we still do that we still like make up a way of like lining up or organizing something that doesn't make sense like alphabetically by height we'll like just pick two random arbitrary things that don't go together and we'll we'll like say something like that right and 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 since you mentioned it i mean since you were there i I just you know you go to the home run of the show i know at the end but this is it was absolutely my home run of the show. And you mentioned a little bit, but I'm going to I'm going to set it up for everybody because the setup is just classic. But, you know, Norb says he comes in, he says he ran into Ted Kennedy at lunch. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Diane says, I think he's going to be our next president. That's, right. that's when we get Cliff Laven, who says, uh, I've got this little pet theory about him. Uh, if you go back in history and take every president you'll find that the numerical value of each letter in their last name was equally divisible into the year in which they were elected. And then so a couple guys at the bar say, so what do you think, Cliff? Is it, is it going to be Reagan or Mondale? And Cliff says, I figured it out. By my calculation, our next president has to be Yelnick McWawa. <laughs> And but the button, I mean, the great thing about Cheers is there's always like the button for the seed. And, and mm-hmm. Sam chimes in. That's, That's the, the stupidest, stupidest name, name I've I, ever heard. I, I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and, and coach, coach says, hey, Sam, please. You're talking about our next president. <laughs> I know. It's like show some respect. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's perfect. The perfect thing for Coach to add on to that moment, yeah. Uh, so then we get uh, the appearance from Tibor. This hockey player comes in uh, with his date Lana, um, and Tibor is played by the actor. He's credited as Richard Hill. He was sometimes an IMDb credit as Rick Hill. Um, he appeared on Magnum PI, Charlie's Angels, Dukes of Hazard, uh, more recently Jag. Not a big name, but kind of like always played kind of like tough guys or security guard type of characters. Um, his date, Lana, is played by Barbara Babcock, who had a huge, long, long credited career. Uh, everything from the Munsters to Mission Impossible, Hogan's Heroes, Shaft, Starsky and Hutch, The Rockford Files. Um, she had six credits on the original series Star Trek, um, although it sounds like four of them were only voice credits. And then what I found, sort of because it's kind of in the same family as Cheers, uh, she actually appeared on one episode of the show Wings. Uh, she played Brian and Joe Hackett's mother, who like left them when, she, when they were kids or whatever. She comes back for one episode. Um, and I vaguely remember that one, and that was a pretty good episode. Yeah, she was a regular on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. So she did about, you know, 100 episodes of that. And she did. So but at this point in her career, it's, it's been about 16 episodes uh, overall. But she had done Hill Street Blues and yeah, won an Emmy yeah. for yeah. that the previous year. Uh, so her career is so interesting because you mentioned some of her credits going back to Star Trek, even the Monsters and the many loves of Dobie Gillis. So she'd been around for this long time. And you know, she brings in this gravitas to the whole episode because she just walks in with this pre- and it works so well with the character, this real presence and everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how about this, though? So 15 years before her Cheers appearance, Babcock appears in an episode of Lucille Ball's old The Lucy Show, <laughs> uh, not to be confused with I Love Lucy. And, and that show was filmed on Paramount Studio 25, the same exact <laughs> soundstage as Cheers. And then 19 years later, after Cheers, she is back on Paramount Studio 25 for an episode of Frasier. Wow. <laughs> and, and if you're wondering, by the way, where she is now, she's, she's 81 years old uh, as we're recording it and hasn't uh, appeared in anything 
since 2004. Judging Amy, she was sort of a regular on there a little bit. Uh, it was the last thing that she was in, but yeah, she was fantastic. She was so great in that and this whole entire episode. Yeah, she's very good. And I I love like when they first recognize they're like, hey, is that Tibor Svekovic? It's yeah, I think that is Tibor Svekovic. And Diana has this great name. She's like, based on the fact that he has a long name that you're able to pronounce, I'm assuming he's an athlete. And, <laughs> yeah. and they go through this whole story about how you know he crossed over, like he like had to like defect basically and come over to America to play sports, and how he like hid in a train steamer and everything like that and like they get to get out of Czechoslovakia and she and Diane's like wow that is an amazing story and Carla adds yeah the next day the rest of the team came over on the Concord <laughs> yeah then, that was great and then after like when he leaves like he um Lana Barbara Bribe kind of character kind of like gives him brush off once she puts once Sam is on her radar she's like I can do better than this idiot so she kind of sends him off and as he's leaving he's doing his whole shtick where he just kind of quotes tv things and he he says this concludes another day of programming and then he's, he like quotes the line from a general tire song or something he's like sooner or later you'll own generals and walks out, and Norman Cliff just kind of look at him, watch him go sadly, and Norm's like, poor guy should really think about wearing a helmet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and you mentioned the actor's name. What, what caught my eye fittingly for this episode was apparently this guy was the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Pete Rose, My Prison Without Bars. <laughs> so he writes, you know, this story about uh, Sam and, and appearing in commercials and, you know, Louis Tiantz in, in mm-hmm. this episode. And, and he'd later write a book about Pete Rose. Yeah. Actually, you just mentioned that's that's the um, the other sort of guest star for this episode. When we get to Sam appears in the commercial as the relief spokesperson for this beer, he relieves uh, Louis Tian, uh, who plays himself and is sort of noteworthy for this episode as being the first celebrity to play himself. Now, Cheers has a long history, and we will see as the show goes on, of getting specifically like Massachusetts or Boston-based celebrities. A lot of politicians will be on the show uh, to come on, but Louis Tian was the first one. And just really quickly, and you probably know more of his history being the sports aficionado, but yeah, he played for about 19 years with the Cleveland Braves and then the Boston Red Sox. Uh, And in 1997, he made the Boston Red Sox Hall of Fame. The only thing that I was a little bit surprised or maybe confused at is I've always heard him as Louis Tiant. And in this episode, he never says his name, but everybody calls him Luis Tiant. Yeah. Which was to me odd as somebody that's, you know, follows baseball. You know, I've just never heard of it. But yeah. If you want to go into that, yeah, they're filming this commercial where so Sam, he gets the commercial mm-hmm. and it's actually a, a well done commercial. You could see that commercial being done. Yeah. Which to me was was great. And the director and I and I saw in the credits, they had the guy that was actually directing the commercial inside the TV show of Cheers, which this guy was the director of that commercial. His name is Jan Rabson. And what was really interesting about this guy is his career. He was a member of Johnny Carson's Mighty Carson Art Players. And that by itself is cool. But he also was or has been a voice actor in all of the classic Pixar films. Toy Story 3, Monsters, Inc., Despicable Me 2, Inside Out, WALL-E, Up, all of those. Ah, wow. Because he he had the voice. I mean, he only has like the one line. Would you don't you hardly even see his face in the 
in the commercial as as presented. But yeah, the commercial, uh, Luis or Louis Tian is pitching Fields beer and just struggling to get the lines out, struggling to deliver like the pitch. Um, so it's kind of like the inside joke that the director comes out and he's like, I'm sorry, you don't have it. You don't have your stuff right now or whatever. And sips him down and brings in Sam. And it's like now pitching for fields, relief pitcher, former relief pitcher, but, uh, Sam Malone and Sam does the whole pitch. You don't feel full with fields. You just feel fine. Uh, and everybody's like, you know, give him a hand, high five and everything. Like he, he sold it and he's like another save. And I just love when it, when it cuts to the title card for like fields, you hear Tian's voice going, I still get the win, right? <laughs> Something. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And, and then after everybody sees Sam's commercial, they, they start talking about how, oh, now you're in showbiz, Sam. You're going to be a star. And, and coach walks over and he whispers to Sam. He's like, Hey, could, could you introduce me to Gene Tierney? <laughs> And Sam goes, I don't know Gene Tierney, coach. And coach looks at him and he's kind of annoyed and he says, okay, be that way. And he just <laughs> walks away. And, and so, you know, by the way, for those who don't know, so Gene Tierney is a major movie star in the 40s who was nominated for an Academy Award. So, like, of course, coach is like throwing back to something from World War II or whatever. And though, and here's the thing, Ryan, strangely enough, you know, I looked up, I'm just looking up Gene Tierney stuff for the hell of it. Well, I didn't realize. So she ends up living her final years mostly in Houston, which is where I'm at, of course, and is buried. And I see this on Wikipedia, so I assume it's got to be right, of course. <laughs> She's buried a mile and a half from where I'm sitting right now. Wow. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so basically the plot, like, as Act 1 sort of kind of coalesces with this meeting of Sam and Lana, you know, Carla's the one who kind of says, don't you know who that is? That's Sam Malone. And he tells her, yeah, he was a former pitcher. And they kind of set their sights on them. Like, she's interested in, like, uh, setting him up. But they're also, like, they're doing a – it's actually really well-written. Like, their flirtation and their chemistry between Sam and Barbara Babka is really, really good. I like that whole that whole scene. Um, and she goes away to, like, make a phone call or go to the bathroom. And Diane is trying to, like, downplay this. And she has this line. She's like, well, I've never been a fan of, like, the bimbos you usually date, Sam. At least they were too dumb to be dangerous. And Sam's like, I knew they would grow on you. <laughs> um, but afterwards, we see that Lana booked Sam in this commercial. They've started dating. They're sleeping together. But the success of the commercial and everything, he's, he's same is very conflicted. Everybody's congratulating him, but he doesn't want to talk about it because in his mind, he's, he doesn't like Lana that much. He wants to break up with her, but he's afraid that if he leaves her, she'll basically just end their partnership and he won't be able to continue you know, being on TV, which he's, he's grown to love again. It's rekindling the sense of celebrity and notoriety that he had when he was pitching. Um, so he's feeling conflicted about that. Diane tries to buck him up and tell him that it's the right thing to do coach as i said literally has to kick him in the ass to get him to do it uh so he finally he breaks up with her and she's like what kind of person would i be to end our relationship over something like this and he's like oh that would be a dragon lady she's like, i'm not a dragon lady but i am going to <laughs> i'm going to d- dump you as a client she's like I-, I can't continue this after we've had a personal relationship so and then she has this uh, whole or Diane kind of confronts her. She's like, you know, this kind of behavior I would have expected from like, you know, a much younger, you know, kind of sex crazed woman. And, and as you kind of like mentioned it, yeah, Lana kind of throws it back at her. She's like, I, I'm an older woman. You know, the, the boys don't, uh, you know, don't come like drooling after me like they used to. I am in a position of power. If the roles were reversed, if the genders were reversed, this would be acceptable. So who are you to judge me for something like this? 
Yeah, she says at the end, uh, don't judge me until you wait till the bloom is off your rose. Yeah. And and I felt like they could have just left her as this sort of one-dimensional character in a way. And when she leaves with that, in a way, you kind of all of a sudden understand everything from her perspective. Mm-hmm. And it gives you sort of this a little bit of empathy for her in a way, as cruel as she is. you know. And then they, they sort of play her off as this you know that's who she is or what she's mean it's a little bit like they stay with that but you're kind of left in your mind you're going yeah i i now i sort of uh see the world from her perspective a little bit you know maybe uh the, the years and everything that's happened to her has left her you know maybe bitter and i'm gonna use what i have while i've got it but yeah i thought that was really brilliant writing just as always cheers you know, it's not just going from line to line. You know, the, a lot of the worst sitcoms you'll see, it's about, you know, what's the next one liner. But they usually give you this depth to the story and the depth to the characters and something a little bit more there, whether it's melancholy or just, you know, some empathy for who these people are. And, and, and that was beautiful. And Babcock, like I said, she's fantastic. I mean, she's just brilliant throughout the whole episode. Uh you, you know, I, we, I mentioned my home run line, but uh, I want to go back to her for a second because uh, and, and this is to me, this is Carla's shining moment in, the, in this one. She asked Lana if athletes are better in the sack than regular guys <laughs> or as Carla yeah. says, uh, better between, between the, the sheets, old yeah. Wam than ordinary <laughs> men. And I don't know about you, Ryan. I, I had to look up. Wam Sutta, because I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> and uh, apparently it's a brand of bed sheets common to New Englanders. So first, Lana says, you know, I wouldn't know. I haven't had experience with ordinary guys. <laughs> Which is a good response. And, and then uh, she says, believe it or not, Carla, they take off their pants one leg at a time, just like everybody else. And Carla goes, they take off their pants? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Oh, it's an incredible moment. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I mean, Lana's whole character and like their dynamic—it's—it's it's a great little reversal of like kind of the casting couch stereotype. Like you see, like again, like this, there would be like a supposition, you know, if she was a male talent agent and a young budding starlet had to like sleep with him in order to like get a a job or something like that it would be wrong it would be disgusting and especially in a modern context through like a me too but it also wouldn't be surprising and now we we just have here this gender reversal where she is the one in power and she is using it and yeah it's a really interesting like her performance she's really good like I, I don't know if they could have done any more with this character. It seems like it's very limited, but I liked her performance so much. I would have liked to see her brought back on the show at some point or or somehow. But yeah, they had some fantastic casting all the way through. Like all of their ancillary characters that they would bring in were always really strong. But I want to go back to a, a scene where okay, so they go into the office and. Diane is, you know, she's lecturing Sam and they're trying to walk through what he's dealing with, with the whole situation. And then coach comes in and and really uh, this to me was the perfect sort of dichotomy <laughs> between uh, the way uh, Diane would deal with things and the way coach would deal with things. And it was just it was beautiful the way they did this, because, you know, coach walks in and instead of being real nice to Sam, he's like, Sam. 
all right, we got to talk about this. And he walks over and he, he drops a towel on the ground and he goes, Sam, pick up the towel. And, and, and he's like, Sam, Sam's like, what, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you, be? he's like, pick up the towel, just do it. Sam. And so say, this is total, you know, this is a baseball coach talking to, you know, one of his players and he, mm-hmm. he picks up the towel and then coach just kicks him in the butt, you know, as hard <laughs> as he can. And the, 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 what's so unbelievable about mm-hmm. the acting in this show all the way through is, you know, you could settle for just the one liners and you could live off of that. And they never do. It's three action shot. And I, and I just noticed right after he does that, you see Shelley Long. And I, I don't know if it's the way Colasanto uh, did it or, you know, how he set the whole thing up. Or maybe he did something that he didn't do in rehearsal. Or maybe it's just I think a lot of it is just the fact that just Shelley Long, she's brilliant. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you, you've talked about this in earlier episodes, but she was genius as an – it wasn't just – uh, the fact that she was delivering the lines or that she was cute or it was the chemistry between the two. But her reaction to everything is always perfect. And yeah. she just gives this kind of reaction as soon as he does. You can see this joy that she got, even though it's not the way she would do it. <laughs> she just had this endearing love of the way that coach handled it. Mm. And it works the way he does it. You know, that you kind of see how it works with Sam and the way he sort of pushes him and, and, and how this is how you handle the situation and quit being quit being a, a pushover with this girl and you got to stand up for yourself and, and that's the way and it was it was genius and and Colasanto I, I just I love the guy to death I mean he is he's such the heart of these first few seasons and it, and it gets you right into the characters so well all the way through those first couple of seasons that he's on the show and 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 I think you know later on and you're going to get to this at some point, of course, Colasanto coach dies and, and Colasanto passes away. You know, it, it hits you that much harder because of who he was and, and how he was. Picking up right after that moment um, and getting back to how good of a performer Shelley Long is in this seat. Like when when Sam goes out there and she likes Diane kind of approaches coach. She's like, that was wonderful. And he screams at her and basically tells her to get out there. And she starts to walk out of the office and has this moment where she like spins around, like almost like jumps, like she flinches or whatever, and kind of backs out. And I swear, like the moment was, and and I don't know if this was something that they had rehearsed or if she saw something in his face, but like the it looks like the moment where like the coach is talking to her. I thought when she was walking out, he was gonna slap her on the ass or something. He was gonna like slap her on the butt, like a coach would do a player or something. Like not like a malicious thing to do to a woman, but as a sort of like. You know, that's kind of just like the way you dress down a, a student or a pupil or or a, a player at this point or whatever. It looked to me like their body language, like he was going to slap her in the butt. And I think she caught that and maybe that was rehearsed or maybe this was planned or maybe she just saw it in his eyes. She starts to walk out and then she does this quick little jump and spin so like he can't get her and she kind of backs out. And it's just like this really like being in the moment type of thing. It was great. The other thing that I, I want to mention, I don't know if you noticed this, but as I rewatched the episodes, that office is so brilliantly designed and the, the way they put everything in there, I guess, uh, I don't know if you call set decorators or whatever, but they get it so right. It, it, it doesn't feel like you, you, you wouldn't expect it to be this kind of clean, pristine place. It's the bar office, but everything to a 
point to a to a where everything is put. Basketball's up on the shelf, just stuff sort of scattered. It doesn't feel like it's at all organized. Like Sam would not be that organized. Right. It, to me, that is is unbelievable, and it's something that you might not notice. Like just if you watch the show for years, you might something you just take take for granted, I guess. And no, it, it's fantastic. The other thing that I just want to mention about Ted Danson because. Uh, you know, he's brilliant. I mean, his career has just been remarkable. And the fact that he's been able to move on from this character that everybody knows. And it's just so hard when you have this iconic character. And yet he's done TV shows for years and years that have done fantastic and different shows uh, throughout the years. But when you watch him perform throughout this series, the one thing that sticks out to me is just every little bit that he gives to this character. I watch how he uses his hands and his arms, and it's uh, the acting style that he's doing where he's incorporating. This guy has, you know, these sort of things that he, and I don't know if it's, maybe it's just Ted Danson being natural, but I don't think so. I think it's stuff that he used, where he puts his arms when he's saying something or where he puts his hands or how he moves his head around. Do you notice that? Yeah, constantly. And I, I've mentioned it in in other episodes that I've recorded that haven't haven't come out yet as of the, the recording of this one. Um, I think I think that probably has more to do with his him training uh, like in in theater and just kind of like basic like theater like stuff that nece- that a a television or movie actor might not necessarily like play to or might not be their strength because so much of that is just kind of like waiting for like a close up shot on their face or something like that but like the training of like you know if he if he was like you know an acting student in college or something like that or just like being on in more stage productions. You know, if you're up there, you have to use your entire body, and it has to be sort of constant. You kind of have to live with the character, and that—that's sort of what it feels like to me when I watch him. Is kind of bringing more of those, and and you wouldn't necessarily—I don't even know really how much theater background he has, um, but it certainly seems like that's the type of thing I notice when I watch him in these early episodes. The way he inhabits the character. Yeah, he's he's uh he's really special. I mean, it, it, that's no. I'm, I'm not saying it is something everybody doesn't know, but it's just uh, you you start watching him from episode to episode. And sometimes, you know, he's so good that you forget, you know, you forget how good he is in the episodes. But uh, to me, I mean, just Shelley Long, her reactions to everything, her facial expressions to everything. I mean, just what she does with her face throughout the, the, the show, throughout this episode it, it, it's it's fantastic. She's just so amazing all the way through. And I just feel like the first five years is really that's to me the heart. And, and that's the, my favorite part of this show, because once she gone, once she's gone, you miss something a lot. You miss a lot with not only just the chemistry that they have between, but just how she just owned scenes in, in her own way. And, right. you know, I, I missed her so much. She was brilliant and and it's it's almost a shame that you know she did a couple of movies but there was nothing ever that she did after this that equaled her performance in this in this series well i mean 
the Brady Bunch movie she got on the Johnny Carson show or, or, <laughs> yeah. the, or, or, or Leno or whatever it was you were mentioning at the top. <laughs> yeah, the Today Show. Um, just uh, before we wrap up and before we get into our last superlatives, uh, there are a few little trivia beats for this episode. The It's a little-known fact, uh, Cliff Clavin beats. Um, the first thing, this is the first episode of the series that begins with a cast member saying, cheers this film before a live studio audience. The first 12 episodes of the show didn't have that. Um, this is the first episode where that becomes like a running thing in the rest of the episodes. And the first actor to say the line for this one is George Went, who says the line, cheers this film before a live studio audience. Um, this is also uh, the first appearance of one of the very tertiary bar characters he's just seen in the background. But Al Rosen, who is kind of wonderfully known as Al uh, throughout the life of the show, is in the background of this episode. This is the first time he's there. Um, and he will have some great comedic moments later on down the road. For Norm's tab, uh, I mentioned I counted him having five beers this episode. Uh, as I said, like these, they wouldn't all be credited because I'm sure the ones he had after hours weren't on his tab. Um, but as as my the way I'm counting this is when I think he's drinking a new beer, um, just to, to basically for the uh, I'm cataloging the, the quality of his liver. Uh, so for the series so far, he's up to 71 beers. I'm guessing he ended up calling Sam after <laughs> Sam got home to tell him that he was stuck in the bar, do you think? Or did he just, he just stayed there? <laughs> I mean, he's he's not working at this point. He wouldn't have a reason to get up in the morning. You know, maybe, maybe <laughs> called Vera and said, you know, this is the situation. I'm not going to be home. Um, but yeah, he, he might have waited two hours to call Sam. I don't know. It, could, it seems like a, it seems like a, he wouldn't have been in any rush. Um, all right. Well, we've, we've certainly kind of uh, telegraphed, if not already announced some of these things, but uh, for our final categories, the employee of the week, Robert, who did you think was the, uh, either the funniest part of the, this episode or who was your, who, who did you think was the best performance, whether it was quality of acting or humor or what, what did you think was the best part? Well, as you can tell, uh, you know, Shelley Long to me, almost every episode, as well as Nick Colasanto. And, and you know, I, I, I have to choose one between the two of them. I, I'm going to go with Colasanto on it just because uh, it's just some fantastic. We haven't even hit all the lines that, that he had during this episode. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he was just uh, just so funny. And you got a little bit more of his you know actual coach, like what the right. coach would do. And so I, I go with him. Yeah, and this this one was probably the toughest one for me to pick because like coach didn't have a lot to do in this one but everything he did was golden. Cliff maybe only had like three little bits throughout this episode but I loved all of them. Um you know, Sam so naturalistic and so great. Shelley Long always great. She's like she's usually at my number one as like did anybody surpass her on this show? I think actually just in discussing this one, I might give my MVP to Lana, to Barbara Babcock. Um, just, I, I just really like the presence that she brought for this one episode. Um, first in the way she flirts with Sam when they first meet, um, and then her, her kind of closing monologue before she leaves. It's just, it's a really cool, really memorable character. So I think I'm going to go with, with Lana as my employee of the week for this one. I'm going to give it to a guest actor. Oh man, because that, that's what I wanted to do. Well, I, yeah. If I, you want to change yours. I, yeah, I think. Yeah, that that's exactly. She was, 
she owned the show. I mean, she yeah. was just genius and it, nothing works if she she isn't who she is in that show. And she just doesn't uh, come in and out. And you're like, who who is that? What is that? That she was and you mentioned it earlier. Just the whole flirtation with her and Sam was priceless. Yeah. Uh, which leads me to the home runs. Now, we've mentioned a couple of these things, but I didn't get to – I've got what I thought was the funniest gag, and then I've got my runner-up. The funniest gag is when Sam and Lana are flirting, and she asks if you've ever done any acting. And he's like, well, you know, I did actually do a play in school – in high school or whatever. And she's like, which one? And he's like, well, it was the one about you know, the woman who convinces her husband to kill the king so he can keep getting more and more power. And and Lana's like, you mean Macbeth? And he goes, no, how boots fooled the king. And he's like, was that what Macbeth was about too? I just, every time <laughs> he says that, how boots fooled the king. I just love that line. It's it's priceless to me. The home run. I, I mentioned it earlier. The whole Ted Kennedy deal. But I'll, I'll throw I'll throw another one at, at you because uh, it's one of my favorite coach moments. Uh, he he is a telling he's telling uh, I guess they're trying to get Sam to do a commercial with Lana and he tells uh, coach tells Lana, you know, Sam, you you know, you've got this great personality. you got this great blah, blah, blah. You know, you've got that fantastic smile. And he goes, you know, smile for Lana, smile. And then Sam gives his best smile to Lana and coach goes. Oh, no. Maybe I was thinking of somebody like, else. I'll be damned. Who was I thinking of? Yes. That was my runner-up. That was the one I had for my runner-up. It was the same one. Yeah. Yeah, Sam does this smile. And Coach like, I'll be damned. Who was I thinking of? It was great. <laughs> Such a good moment. Yeah. So. Uh well yeah I that's that's all I got it's it's a it's a solid it's really fun um it, this is great talking to you about it do you have any final thoughts about this episode before we go just I love the first season I yeah. mean almost every episode of the first season is just so right on point and there's there's depth and they really sort of give you a, a, an end to the characters in a way that maybe they don't do and I just feel like. Uh, a, lot, a lot of shows you get, like I said, into that stereotype and you get into a certain thing. And th- this th- these early episodes, you really feel like, you know, no, it's not it's going exactly where you think it's going to go all the time. And they don't say exactly what you think they would do. And just every part of this show, like every every joke seems to have this perfect button and then a button on top of a button to it, if you would. It drives me crazy that, as I constantly think about or read that the show was almost canceled so many times throughout its like first se- first two seasons even, but like like yeah, it's like episode thirteen. This could have been the end. This could have been the last episode of the series. And it's like what? How like how could they not see how brilliant this was? But well, Robert, thank you very much for uh, <laughs> for relieving my uh, other guest in this episode and, and coming in to, to pitch for this one. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and I look forward to having you back on a future episode somewhere down the line. Before you go, where else can people find you in the podcastosphere? Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody out there that loves Houston sports, uh, my Lockdown Texans podcast, it's a daily, the Lockdown Podcast Network. It's it's really cool. We've got 3 million listens per month throughout the network with pretty much every NFL and NBA team, uh, almost every Major League Baseball team. We're adding college sports as well. So that's pretty fun. And then also my Houston Sports Talk podcast where I talk Astros and Rockets and Texans and everything that's going on in, in Houston sports. And it's an interesting time in Houston sports. So that's really fun. But it's uh, at HST podcast or at Locked on Texans if you want to try to connect up with me as well. 
Uh, thank you once again for being on this show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. As always, you can support the show on Facebook and Twitter. You can leave a comment on the post at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Go ahead and leave us a nice, juicy five-star iTunes review. I would really appreciate that. And until next time, we're closed. I want to know how you can live with yourself. I can't. That's why I like having young athletes around. I've always been crazy about them. You know, sometimes when I'm with one, I swear I can actually hear the crowd cheering. You know, I can understand this kind of behavior from a, an over-sexed adolescent or something, but you're an older woman, middle-aged, all the more reason to grab some youth. You know, there was a time in my life when men would invent little tricks and schemes to get my attention. Well, now I'm the one who schemes a little to get theirs. That's not too unfair, is it? But don't be too concerned. Someday, even that will work. Don't judge me until the bloom is off your rose, honey. Ta-ta. She is good. Thank <laughs> you.